All right. Well, good morning, River City. My name is Brand. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to get to join you this morning. Hopefully you guys had a good Thanksgiving, no matter uh, what that looked like this year. Just uh, prayerful that uh, God was able to meet you in the midst of that and, and that you're able to remember how thankful uh, and to be thankful for how much we have to be thankful for in him. So um, looking forward to uh, continuing our study this morning. This fall, we've been taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And, and the fruit of the Spirit is kind of the description of a, the kind of a transformed life that increasingly characterizes someone who uh, knows Jesus and is being transformed by him. And, and the, the fruit of the Spirit is a list of kind of evidences that are marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and from the beginning, what we've tried to highlight as we've been working our way through this series is that, is that the, the fruit of the Spirit is not just some list of virtues we are supposed to be trying to work hard at attaining, but instead, they're actually things that we cannot produce in and of ourselves in the first place. Instead, the, the fruit of the Spirit is something that is supernaturally produced in us when the transforming power of the gospel takes deep root in our hearts. and In other words, what we've been saying throughout our series is that believing and responding to the truths of the gospel, to the, to the person and the work of Jesus on our behalf, it's the, it's the one thing that not only can, but that will inevitably produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Because and that's why at the very first part of our vision as a church, just like John talked about this morning, is that we want to be a church that's growing in the gospel because we believe that the gospel isn't just what saves us and makes us right with God, but it's that believing the truths of the gospel continually coming back to the person and the work of Jesus, that's the one thing that actually transforms us and causes us to grow up spiritually. And so as we examine our hearts and our lives in the midst of our series, taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit and to see where we may or may not be characterized by that kind of spiritual fruit. The, the goal is not to try to just get you to work harder at producing that kind of fruit in your life, but instead the invitation is to ask ourselves, what is it about the gospel? What is it about the person and the work of Jesus? What is it about who he is and all that he has done for me that hasn't yet taken deep root in my heart? That, that I need to continue to dwell on and allow to take deep root in my heart so that the fruit of the Spirit is what's naturally produced in me. As we've walked through our series so far, we've talked about how the, and when we examined the fruit of love, we saw it's only when you encounter and dwell on God's costly and sacrificial love towards you that you'll be increasingly characterized by a kind of love for him and a love for others that's not based on a perceived worthiness or, or reciprocal benefit or only when it's easy, but you'll be characterized by a kind of love for God and others that is, that required, that's costly and sacrificial, that, 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 uh, that, is, that happens when, even when it's hard. We saw it's only when you see the gravity of your own sin and how much you needed a Savior, and yet at the same time you're reminded about how greatly Jesus has met your need, and, and you're reminded of, about all that he has done for you and the eternal hope that he has secured for you through his death and resurrection, that you'll be able to have a, a kind of deep and durable joy, one that's not contingent on situations and circumstances, but one that is instead based on the relationship with the blesser himself, not just the experience of blessing. We saw it's only when you realize that at the height of your rebellion, when you were God's enemy, that he sought you out to make peace with you, that you'll be able to be characterized not only by a deep inner peace, but by the pursuit of relational peace, even with those who are most opposed to you. 
And last week, as we took a look at the spiritual fruit of, fruit of patience, we saw how the degree to which you recognize and are humbled by how patient and how long-suffering and, and how forbearing God has been towards you will be the degree to which you are characterized by patience and long-suffering and forbearance with others in the, and in the midst of difficult circumstances. And this week, as we continue our series, taking a look at the gospel roots that produce the Spirit's fruit in our lives, we'll, we'll see how in addition to love and joy and peace and patience, that kindness as well will inevitably and invariably increasingly characterize us when the good news of the gospel takes deep root in our hearts. And so with that in mind, let's pray and we'll dive into our study this morning. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We are grateful that you have loved us, and we are grateful for our time together in your word. And, and we just humbly ask, God, as we gather, that you'd meet us in our need for you. God, I need you to be able to teach and preach not just what is right and true, but with any kind of power or authority. God, we need you to be able to soften our hearts so that we can respond rightly to your word. And so we come dependent on you, needing you to work in us this morning. And so we also come eagerly waiting to see how you will do that for our good and for your great glory, God. We ask you to do all that this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, this morning we are examining the, the spiritual fruit of kindness. And what I want to do as we begin is to take a look at how the, the, the Bible defines and describes kindness. Because I think what can often happen when we, when we think about kindness is that we can kind of equate the spiritual fruit of kindness this, this evidence of knowing Jesus with simply just being nice, right? Or, or just, about, just about being pleasant. It's just about just, you know, just, just not hurting others and just, you know, just being a good person, right? Just like being somebody who doesn't ruffle feathers, who doesn't cause problems. But as we'll see this morning, the Bible presents a very different and compelling portrait of the kind of kindness that it describes as the fruit of the Spirit, you see, and as we studied this morning, what I want you to see is that gospel-rooted kindness is about being characterized by a consistent attitude of compassion towards others that gets worked out in an eager willingness to sacrificially meet their needs and bear their burdens regardless of their perceived worthiness or gratitude. Let me say that again. Gospel-rooted kindness is about being characterized by an attitude of compassion towards others that gets worked out in an eager willingness to meet their needs and to bear their burdens sacrificially and regardless of their perceived worthiness or gratitude. You see, and when, when you define kindness as the Bible does, uh, you not only quickly see that it's a lot more than being nice, what you quickly find is that it is a lot more than you are capable of on your own. You see, you're going to need God's power to actually be characterized by that kind of a kindness. And so let me break that definition down and show you how God's word leads us to that kind of a definition of kindness. The first part I, I talked about is that, that kindness is an internal attitude of compassion towards others. Ephesians 4.32 says it this way. Apostle Paul, he urges Christians, he says, to be kind and compassionate to one another. The, the spiritual fruit of kindness, it always gets worked out in external actions, but it begins with an internal attitude of compassion towards others. The ESV, I think, really helpfully translates that, that word compassion as tenderheartedness. 
You see, compassion or tenderheartedness, it, it's the idea that our hearts can be easily touched, that they're easily moved towards the pain or the needs of others. When, you're, when your muscles are sore, when, when your skin has a bruise or something on it, it doesn't take much pressure for you to feel pain, does it? See, likewise, when your heart is tender, it's easily affected. It feels the pain and sees the needs of others without a lot of force or pressure, and it is moved by compassion to care for others. Now, I just want to highlight something here. Some of you are here this morning, and you, you are characterized by very sensitive consciences, but, but sometimes I think the reality is that your heart is more bruised than it is tender. You see, when you see the pains or the needs of others, you are quickly moved, but it's not by compassion. It's by this kind of false sense of guilt that you have. You see someone who is hurting or someone who has less than you have, and you just feel guilty for being happy or for having anything nice in your life at all. And so out of a sense of this kind of false guilt, you try to meet the needs of everyone around you. And I just need you to hear this morning, that is a counterfeit kind of kindness. That's not the real thing because biblical kindness is rooted in an attitude of compassion for others, not a desire to avoid or relieve a sense of personal guilt. You see, in an ironic kind of way, that kind of a kindness towards others is actually, a, is actually ultimately about meeting your own felt needs, not the needs of others. And that's not the kind of kindness that God models for us, nor is it the kind of kindness he wants his people to be characterized by. So kindness is it's an internal attitude of compassion. But as well, I want you to see, it's important to see this. It, it doesn't come in bursts and spurts. It's consistent. In high school, I remember, I can't remember what the context of this was, but I remember there was kind of like this push for a while that people were just always talking about doing random acts of kindness. And it was just like, we should go, we should just, let's just get some friends together and we'll go do some random acts of kindness. And, and of course, that feels really good, right? Because helping somebody else, doing something randomly nice for someone else, that feels good because, shock, God wired the world. When we serve others, like that, is, that feels good, right? But the kind of kindness that the gospel produces is not a random acts of kindness thing. Colossians 3, verse 2, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, it says, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. See, that language to clothe yourself, it doesn't talk about just like, hey, every once in a while, do something kind. It talks about being someone who is characterized by that kind of an attitude towards others. It's not, see, authentic kindness is not random. It is not sporadic. It is not seasonal. It is not situational. It is a consistent and enduring attitude of our hearts towards others. Listen, I'm not trying to downplay the goodness of random acts of kindness towards other people. That's not like something wrong to do. But I'm saying that biblical kindness is much more than a random act of good deeds for someone else. You see, and while kindness begins as a consistent and internal attitude of, of tenderheartedness and compassion towards others, it, it never stops there. See, the spiritual fruit of kindness, it always gets worked out in external actions. Isaiah chapter 63 verse 7 says this, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord. He says, the deeds for which he is to be praised. According to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel according to his compassion and his many kindnesses. 
In response to God's abundant provision uh, through the generosity of Boaz, Ruth's mother, in the book of Ruth, chapter 2, she she praises God in chapter 2, verse 20. She says that, that he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 15, kindness is described as doing what is good instead of acting in revenge. Paul writes, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good. Literally, that's the same word that's translated as kindness throughout the New Testament, to do what is good. He says, for each other and for everyone else. See, kindness is not just an attitude, an internal attitude of the heart. It always gets worked out in our external actions. And we look at the examples of kindness throughout Scripture, whether by God or His people. There, there are a couple of things that I think that characterize that external expression of real biblical kindness. And the first thing that characterizes those kind of expressions is that they are eager and willing. You see, even in the midst of Israel's sin and rebellion, Isaiah chapter 30, 18, it says that the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, King David, he's, he's actively seeking out the descendants of his enemy Saul and his friend Jonathan, and who have both died. They're both long gone. They're, they're, they're not calling him to account anymore. And he still, he goes and he asks, his, he asks his advisors and he asks everyone around, he says, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Titus chapter 2, verse 14 tells us that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, he says, eager to do what is good. Again, that's the same word for kindness there. You see, gospel-rooted kindness, doing good to others, showing compassion, it is never something that is forced or coerced. Neither does it come from a begrudging sense of duty or perceived obligation. Instead, it is characterized by an eager and a willing choice to show compassion towards others. See, so often what happens in our world is that kindness is, is people show kindness in order to like get on the good side of someone else. They want their coworkers to think better of them. A company wants the world to have a good impression about them, and so they donate to some cause or they, they fulfill some need. See, that's not real kindness. That's just manipulation. You're just trying to, get up, you're trying to get something out of it. See, but kindness is not forced. It is not coerced. It does not have ulterior motives. It's important to note as well that this eagerness to show kindness is not based on receiving a reward or, or the promise of getting paid back. In fact, it often requires sacrifice. In the story of Ruth, we see Boaz eagerly and proactively showing Ruth, who is a, a destitute, widowed foreigner, the lowest of the low. He, he shows her a kind of lavish generosity and a kindness to her. And it is abundantly clear that he's not doing it because he's trying to like win her affections. In fact, later in the story, we find that, that he is shocked that, he would, that she would even have affectionate thoughts towards him. And he doesn't, he's not doing it so that people will admire his noble deeds. In fact, he knows full well that his actions are going to be scrutinized by his peers. Above all, it is obvious that there is no way that Ruth could ever pay him back. She literally is destitute. She has absolutely nothing. And yet here we see Boaz who is, who is eager to go out of his way, to seek her out, to find her, to bless her, to show an incredibly generous kind of kindness to him, far more than anything he was obligated or even required to do by any stretch. 
He does it at his own expense when there is nothing in it for him. See, in Boaz's kindness, his eager willingness to show compassion towards Ruth and Naomi, it brings us to the second thing that characterizes the, the examples of kindness we see in Scripture, and that kindness looks like being eager and willing to sacrificially meet the needs of others and to bear their burdens, whether big or small, whether emotional or physical or spiritual, whatever it might be. Proverbs 12.25, it says this, Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Sometimes kindness is just coming alongside a friend and encouraging them. Proverbs 14, 21, it's a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. I think most clearly of all in Luke 10, Jesus, he's telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is about this guy who finds a man on the side of the road who's been robbed and beaten and left for dead. And unlike these two religious leaders who had, who had already seen this man and ignored him, this Samaritan, who, who uh, that language that should cue you in, that Jews and Samaritans, they were like arch nemeses, right? And yet this man who should have been his enemy, he shows this guy incredible kindness. He is moved by compassion to, for him, to show him kindness. In verse 34, it says that, that he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So the next day he took two denarii and, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. You see, what's so ironic about that, that parable is that Jesus tells that, that, that parable to a man who is trying to, he's trying to minimize the amount of people he needs to be kind to. He says, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who, who do I really need, to, who am I obligated to show kindness to? And Jesus tells the story about someone who should have been his enemy, showing a lavish kind of kindness towards him. And it's meant to highlight not only that the answer is that we are called to show kindness to everyone, but that real kindness is often costly. See, people often say, like, let's just be kind. Kindness is free. Counterfeit kindness, which is just niceness, that is often free. But authentic, biblical kindness, it is often incredibly costly. You see, it can be costly in terms of our time or our talents or our money, our treasure. And the reality is, is that the cost of kindness is often much higher than we are willing to pay. You see, but mere sentiment, just, just an attitude of compassion towards others without uh, an expression of it, that is a counterfeit kind of kindness. It is not the real thing. Tim Keller, I think, helpfully puts it this way. He says, when we say, I'd like to help, but I just can't. When we say, I, I want to help, I just can't afford it. What we mean is that I can't afford to help people without it burdening me. You see, the Bible teaches that kindness is shown by looking for people who have a burden on them and being willing to slip underneath some of that burden so that it slides onto you, he says. He says, we have not really helped, we are not really being kind until we can point to the parts of our lives that have been changed or have been the choices that have been lost because of our helping of others. You see, if you're helping people to the tune where your choices have not been diminished at all, you are not really helping people. See, the New Testament does not give us some specific amount or whatever to be kind or generous or whatever it is. It says that we must give until the burden falls on you. Give until our choices have been diminished because of our giving. That's what kindness is. You see, niceness, it's often free. 
You see, but that's not the thing that the Bible says the Spirit produces in us. It produces a kindness in us, which often is sacrificial towards others. You see, and I think most distinguishedly, biblical kindness, it's, it's shown, we've seen it in an, an eagerness and a willingness, in a, in a sacrificialness towards others to meet their needs. I think most importantly, most clearly what we see is that kindness is, not, is shown regardless of worthiness or gratitude. The spiritual fruit of kindness is displayed regardless of worthiness or, or gratitude. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 13, she, she recognizes the fact that Boaz has, has shown her a kind of lavish and unmerited kindness towards her, something she is unworthy of. And she says, you have put me at ease, she says, by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. She says, you've spoken kindly to me, even though I do not deserve it. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, says that the Lord's servants must be, not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Meaning that there are people you will be tempted to resent that God calls us towards kindness to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, it says, When we are cursed, Paul writes, we bless. When we are persecuted, when we endure it. When we are slandered, he says, we answer kindly. I think most clearly, most poignantly of all. Luke chapter 6, 35. Jesus, he tells his disciples, love your enemies. Do good to them. That's show kindness to them, he says. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. He says, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High, he says, because God, he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. You see, a counterfeit kind of kindness is a compassion to those who we deem deserving of it. To those who, who, who we think will be grateful for it. Who, those who, who we think will best, will best use our kindness. Who will, best, who, will best man, who will best be grateful for it and make the most of it. But that's not the kind of kindness that God displays. You see, God's kindness is not just for the kind. It's not just for the worthy. It is not just for the deserving. It is not just for those who he knows will be grateful for it. God's kindness is for his enemy and for the wicked and for the ungrateful. And the kind of kindness that the Spirit produces in God's people is a reflection of that kind of kindness. You see, that brings us to the gospel roots that produce kindness in us. You see, you see when, when it's only when you see God's kindness towards you it's only when you see the magnitude of his kindness towards you that you will become characterized by a kind of kindness towards others. It's only when you see that you were the ungrateful, that you were the wicked, that you were the one who did not deserve kindness, and yet God, in his mercy and his grace, has shown lavish kindness towards you. Titus chapter 3 he says this way, at one time we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Do you see that? 
You see the reality that we are the wicked, that we are the ungrateful, that we are those who are absolutely undeserving of God's kindness towards us. And yet his kindness appeared in the person of Jesus. And God's kindness saved us. It saved us in the midst of our rebellion. It saved us in the midst of our ungratefulness. It saved us in the midst of him knowing that we would squander his lavish kindness to us. And yet God extends his kind hand towards us in grace. You see, unless you see that, unless you see that you did not deserve kindness, and yet God showed it to you abundantly, you will never be characterized by a kind of biblical kindness towards others. See, what happens oftentimes is that, is that we're kind of like the Pharisees, right? Who, who we just believe we don't really need that much kindness from God. That, that we're really just pretty good people. And, and that God doesn't really need to kind of stoop that low to meet us in our needs. And what happens is, is when we believe that re- reality, we kind of look at others who are in need of kindness with a self-righteous superiority. But if when we believe that we are unworthy and wicked sinners who have been saved by grace alone, that what happens is we will look on others who need to be shown kindness, who are hurting, who might be helpless, even because of their own choices and their own mistakes. And we will be able to look on them with a kind of compassion and a willingness to help them because we realize that that is how God sees us. Our spiritual state was the exact same when God chose to show kindness and grace and mercy towards us. Knowing that we would forget him knowing that we would take him for granted, knowing that we would fail to be thankful, knowing that we could never repay him. And yet God lavishly shows kindness to us. You see, unless that clicks in your heart, and to the degree that it does, will be the degree to which you are characterized by a kindness towards others. Not just a niceness that's free, but a kind of kindness towards others that is costly and sacrificial, that is eager and willing to bless and serve others who you know will be ungrateful for it. Because you see, that's how Jesus has treated you. You see, remembering that reality, that's what we're doing every week when we take communion. Because the truth is we forget all the time. We forget how much we needed God's kindness. We forget the, the magnitude of the kindness that he has shown towards us. We forget, as 1 Peter 2, towards, 2.24 tells us, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and that we might be healed by his wounds. You see, when, when we're doing communion, we're remembering how God's kindness to us was ultimately displayed on the cross where Jesus bore our sin in order that we might be forgiven and healed. Communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't save you. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him. It's a way for us to remember, to remind ourselves about God's lavish kindness to us so that in remembering that, we might be filled with a gratitude and a thankfulness for his undeserved kindness shown to us that overflows into a kind of eager and willingness to show compassion and meet the needs of others because we see Jesus has done it for us. And so this morning as we sing and as we worship and as we remember the gospel together in song, if you have put your trust in Jesus 
if you're, you're trusting his kindness towards you displayed on the cross, then whenever you're ready, take communion. Do it in joyfulness and gladness, remembering his kindness towards you. But if not yet, if you are here this morning, you're still figuring out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And if that's something you even want, I want you to know you are welcome here. But I encourage you, hold off on taking communion. Instead, receive God's offer of kindness by willing to embrace you in the midst of your sin and rebellion. You see, the only way to bear the spiritual fruit of kindness is when you respond to the faith, in faith, to the kindness that he has shown you. What it produces in you is a real, authentic kind of kindness. Let me just leave you with this this morning. You see, our, our world has niceness all over it, doesn't it? People are willing to be nice all the time. It's not that big of a deal. You see, but our world is in desperate need of an authentic kind of kindness. One that does not treat others with compassion based on their worthiness. One that does not always look for gratitude in response. One who, a kind of kindness that's not just for our own, but is for others outside of our community. You see, and when our, when our community becomes characterized by that kind of a spiritual fruit, what happens, Titus says, is that the gospel gets made beautiful and attractive. Titus chapter 2.10, Paul writes, he says, he's encouraging God's people towards kindness and generosity towards one another. And he says, do that so that in every way you will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. You'll make it beautiful. You see, so often our world is full of churches that are dedicated to doctrine and are absolutely lacking in kindness. And we might be the most doctrinally sound, most, most theologically accurate body of believers, and yet if we lack kindness, we will be the most irrelevant people in all of the world. In the ancient world, the, the ancient Roman emperor Julian, he, he hated Christians. He was dead set on opposing them. And yet what he experienced, what, what the reason why he could not stomp Christianity out, he writes to a friend, he says, he says that they are kind not only to their own, they, don't, they take care of not only their own, but ours as well. This man who was absolutely opposed to Jesus and his kingdom finds the most compelling thing about the group of Christians in the first century, that they are kind even to those who are opposed to them. Mark Twain, I think, famously wrote it this way. He says, kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Church, might we be a people who revel and wonder at God's kindness towards us so that we might be a people who overflow with a kind of kindness that is beautiful to our world that is attractive, that our Lord longs to see, which they can find nowhere else. Might we be a people who makes the gospel beautiful as it really is so that our friends and our family that our neighbors, our co-workers, our community who needs Jesus so badly might see his offer of life as good news, as beautiful, as something they want. May we revel in God's kindness towards us so we might reflect his unmerited, undeserving kindness towards our world.
to that end, let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning. God, and we are humbled by your kindness towards us. God, we recognize, as, as Paul wrote to, to Titus in chapter 3, that we are evil and wicked, that we were caught, we are led astray, that we once lived on our own passions and malice and envy and all of it, Jesus. And yet in the midst of that, you showed kindness to us. You appeared. You made your kindness and love visible in the person and work of Jesus who gave himself for us, as Romans 4, 2, 4 tells us, so that in the midst of our rebellion, we might be led to repentance because we've encountered your kindness. King Jesus, might we see your kindness to us clearly and so be led to repent of our unkindness towards others, our, our willingness to show kindness just to those we think deserve it, our willingness not to sacrifice, our unwillingness to, to be costly in our displays of kindness. God, thank you that you were willing to show us kindness in a way that we could never repay you. Thanks that your kindness to us was lavish and abundant, far more than we deserved. Might we see it, might we believe it, might it soak deeply into our hearts so that what is produced in us is your kindness towards others. Jesus, we need you for our good, for your great glory in this world, so your gospel might be beautiful. Make that true of us, God. Amen.